As Ruth said during the children's time, we are indeed looking at our church slogan. Um, we've been doing that over the last couple weeks, and we continue that today. If you'll open up to the front of your bulletin, you'll see our logo, which is the picture of a person in the shape of a tree who is bearing fruit. And you see the Holy Spirit in the shape of a dove flying there. And there we are, connected to the water above our church name, and then below the church name, you see the slogan, Deep Roots, Bountiful Fruit, It Happens Here. We, we stress the deep roots and the bountiful fruit. I don't know how much we ever talk about it happening here. And so today we're going to talk about that, and I may stretch the definition of the meaning of here today. Let's look at our scripture. Our scripture is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. A few years ago, a brother and sister in West London were just um, cleaning out their attic. And they came across this um, old, old vase. And they thought, huh, what if this is worth anything? So they hired a local auction house um, to get an estimate of its worth. And they discovered that it was valued at nearly $2 million dollars. Pretty nice, huh? But get this. After 30 minutes of spirited bidding at the auction, this vase, which turned out to be an 18th century Qing dynasty vase, went to a buyer from China for more than $69 million. The most ever paid for a Chinese antiquity. They had no idea what they had, said the auction house spokeswoman. <laughs> Understatement of the year. When the final bid was official, they had to go out of the room and get a breath of fresh air. I bet they did. Maybe some of us are going to start this afternoon cleaning out our attic, seeing what's up there, right? An old vase worth more than $69 million. Let me repeat the spokeswoman's statement. They had no idea what they had. Some people sure get lucky sometimes, you know what? Like a couple in Lander, Wyoming, who went to the city dump to dispose of some yard trash. As they were ditching their junk, their eye caught this rather ornate, very beautiful, but old and, and worn out wooden headboard for a bed. The wife suggested they take it home and try to refurbish it. Well, as they're loading this rather heavy, clunky, bulky item onto their truck, a cap on one of the posts fell off 
and outpoured dozens of gold coins like they had just hit the jackpot in Las Vegas or something. Turns out both legs had been hollowed out and filled with gold coins from the 1800s. I know what you're thinking. (laughs) Why doesn't that ever happen to me, right? You know, for crying out loud. I love stories like these. Let me tell you one more, but um, for those who are starting to feel a little envious, let me just tell you that this is going to be the antithesis of the other two stories. Um, A woman had a problem with her hearing and decided to finally break down and buy some hearing aids, and they cost over $3,000 each, um, and insurance wasn't going to pay for them. So this was a big decision. Well, the very first night that she got them, she decided to go out with some friends and her husband to a local restaurant, and she made an interesting discovery that unlike the human ear, which can filter out table and kitchen noises distinct from conversation, these hearing aids just amplified everything. It just made everything louder. So halfway through dinner, she took one of them out and tried to carry on conversation. Well, later, as she was getting ready to leave, she looked for her hearing aid, except it was gone. She panicked. She told her friends, and they all got down on their hands and knees and started looking on the floor of the restaurant. This was very expensive to her. She needed it. Her husband never moved. So she got back up and she said, why aren't you helping? You know something the rest of us don't? He said, I thought it was an olive. (laughs) Ouch. That's more like the kind of luck we have, right? Right? I can't even imagine what they went through to try to reclaim that treasure, you know? But uh, maybe I just don't want to go there. Um, somebody after the first service said, you can now get an app on your phone that will tell you where your hearing aid is, is at all times. And I started wondering, what, what happened, you know, if they tried to look for that one? It starts pointing toward his stomach, you know? Well, today I want to invite you into the greatest treasure hunt of all time. It's a hunt for a treasure that surpasses all others. However, people don't tend to recognize it as the most desirable treasure of all, because it's hidden in this rather innocuous and somewhat fragile clay jar. And why is it hidden in a clay jar and not displayed in, say, a jewelry case or a museum or perhaps um, packed away you know, in a safe somewhere? Well, there's a reason for that, and we're going to get to that as we go along. Um, in fact, maybe you'll figure it out as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul writes, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Okay, what is this treasure that Paul is describing? He says it is the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Jesus, in one of his parables, called it the the pearl of great price. It is so valuable that when a merchant finds it, they sell everything else they own and go and buy this pearl. 
That is to say that this treasure is worth far more than rubies or gold, more than any of the crown jewels of England, more than any possession anyone can have on this earth. And yet, it can be had by the most humble of people. Where does that light shine? It shines in our hearts. It happens here. What is this jar of clay? It's you. It's whoever believes in Christ. Any of you who've ever owned anything made out of clay know that it's not a particularly um, costly or expensive material. Nothing like a vessel made out of ivory or marble or even brass or an expensive wood. It, it can certainly be beautiful, no doubt, but compared to other materials, it's, you know, it, it's not particularly strong, somewhat fragile and vulnerable. I've seen many clay pots broken. But why is it chosen then? Paul writes, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now let's break down this analogy and see if we can make it practical for our daily lives, okay? In the first place, we need to note that the treasure about which Paul speaks does not lie somewhere out there. Okay, this, there, this does not require a map. X does not mark the spot. Okay, many of us are so obsessed with finding meaning and purpose in our lives outside of ourselves. And we think we can get it if we just have a better job or a nicer home, a slimmer body, a, a grander trip, a, a cooler car, or a fancier dress. The list goes on. So we go and we buy self-help books and we get in on the latest fad and we check our daily horoscope, believing that somehow, somewhere, at some point in time, if we position ourselves just right, that moment will come where we will be fulfilled. When Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay, he's saying that meaning and purpose and, yes, happiness do not reside out there. Either we have them within our own hearts or we don't have it at all. It happens here. At one of my previous churches, I had a member who competed for the United States in the Olympics. Pretty cool. He was the nicest guy. So humble, so smart, very funny. He even served as a counselor in our youth group. Everybody loved him. And, um, and we're still friends today thanks to the miracle of Facebook. But uh, he didn't actually do all that well in the Olympics, but he was in the Olympics, right? I mean, that's so cool. Well, on my first Sunday at the church, he asked me if I wanted to go get lunch after the service. I said, sure, that sounds great. He said he had a friend in town who'd be joining us. Okay. His friend had won a gold medal in the same event in which he had competed. And I'm like, this is nuts, right? I'm having lunch with two Olympians, one of which is a gold medalist. And this is just really cool. So anyway, the three of us talked over cheeseburgers and fries, which I thought was kind of a weird thing for elite athletes to eat. But, uh, <laughs> but knowing that I was going to have more time with the church member, um, I tried to be hospitable and talk to his guest. And so I asked him about the Olympics, of course, and he asked me about becoming a pastor. And Over the course of the conversation, I learned that he was moving but he wasn't exactly sure what he would be doing in the new town he was moving to. We had just met, so he didn't really open up. You know, I was a stranger to him, basically. Um, but I could tell 
Something was wrong. When lunch was over, I told my new friend, the church member, that his friend didn't have the demeanor that I expected of an Olympian. For someone who had won a gold medal, he sure didn't have a lot of joy. My church member said something very profound that I will never forget. He said, yeah, but here's the thing. If you're not happy without a gold medal, you're not going to be happy with one. I know there are all kinds of reasons for people to feel like they're struggling in life, and there are at least as many ways for people to try and ease those struggles. There's certainly nothing wrong with trying to win a gold medal, right? I mean, that's fantastic. But even that could not give this man lasting contentment and satisfaction. More than 250 years ago, Jean-Jacques Rousseau wrote that every time we yearn for something we cannot afford, we grow poorer, whatever our resources. And every time we feel satisfied with what we have, we can be counted as rich, however little we may actually possess. There are two ways to make a person richer, he said. Give him more money or curb his desires. Modern societies have done the former spectacularly well, Rousseau says, but by continuously whetting our appetites, they have at the same time managed to negate a share of their success. That was written in the 1700s. Could have been written today. In other words, happiness and contentment are an inside job. Paul says the greatest treasure lies inside our hearts. It happens here. Here's the second thing we need to see. If we have this treasure that Paul speaks of, we can handle whatever comes to us from without. Now, it's easy to see that we can't find our happiness out there, but what happens if misfortune finds us? Listen again to the words of Paul as he describes the effect of this treasure. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Life can be cruel, no doubt. But if we have this treasure, Paul says, adversity cannot conquer us. In fact, over in Romans, he says we are more than conquerors to the things of this world. You know, we're often told that success in living comes from making the right choices, but what about those things that happen to us that we have no choice in the matter? Sometimes we are just victims. We need something to sustain us when things get rough on the outside, something that St. Paul certainly had to deal with himself. After all, this is a man who was beaten, who was imprisoned, who was shipwrecked, who was snake bit, who had health problems and relationship issues and was not exactly the most popular guy whenever he came to a new town. I've heard several of you tell me that you like to listen to the TV and radio preacher David Jeremiah. Now, I don't agree with every point of his theology, but like the Baptists and Pentecostals and other denominations, I like to think that we all work on the same team just from different positions, right? He definitely has the best name for a preacher ever, right? His middle name is even Paul, right? Anyway, a while back, he wrote a book titled A Bend in the Road. And this book tells how in the midst of his growing ministry, he was diagnosed with cancer. In 1994 and again in 1998, Jeremiah was diagnosed with lymphoma. In 1999, a nodule was surgically removed from his neck, and he underwent stem cell transplant therapy. 
In his book, Jeremiah writes about the physical and emotional toil of his treatment. He speaks candidly of his battle with pain and nausea and deep, deep depression. Now, at the present time, his cancer is in remission, but the doctors have told him that there are no guarantees. It might come back. You just don't know. No way to be sure. The book's title comes from this observation that sooner or later, all of us come to a bend in the road. Something that we didn't expect. Something that we couldn't have foreseen. Something we didn't want. Something we didn't ask for. And unfortunately, something we can't postpone. You know, we've got our life all lined up and everything it seems to be going great. And then suddenly it changes because we've come to this bend in the road. And now life is moving in this very different, very unwanted direction. If we do not have sufficient resources at such a time as this, we will be lost. Paul knew about times like that. We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Paul had sufficient resources to overcome an array of difficulties. I'm not talking about money here. He had that treasure, the light of the knowledge of God's glory, displayed in the face of Christ that would allow him to be more than a conqueror to the things of this world. Which brings us to the last thing that needs to be said. We need to understand that this treasure is not going to be found by looking out or looking in. It's going to be found by looking up. The path to inner peace is not just a matter of getting in touch with our feelings. It's a matter of getting in touch with our Heavenly Father. True happiness comes by knowing that the emptiness that you feel within can be filled by someone who has loved you even before you were born. William Fry, a retired Episcopal bishop in Colorado, once told a story about during his younger years, he was working with a graduate student named John. John was blind. So one day, Fry asked John what happened to cause him to lose his sight. Chemical explosion, John said. I was 13. How'd that make you feel? Felt like life was over. Life was, I felt helpless and hopeless. I hated God. For the first six months, I did nothing to improve my lot in life. I ate all my meals alone in my room. And then one day, my father entered the room and said, John, winter's coming and the storm windows need to be put up. That's your job. I want those hung by the time I get back this evening or else. And he walked out the door, slamming the door. And I thought, who does he think he is? Doesn't he realize I'm blind? I was so angry, I decided to do it. I put up those windows. I felt my way to the garage. I found the windows. I located the necessary tools. I found the ladder, all the while muttering under my breath, I'm going to show him I'm going to fall, and then he'll have a blind and paralyzed son. John continued, I got the windows up. And then he finished his testimony with these helpful words. I found out later that never at any moment in the project was my father more than four or five feet away from me. How do we find this treasure that surpasses all other treasures in this world? 
First of all, we recognize that there's nothing in this world on the outside of us that can give us what we really crave. Secondly, we understand that one, one thing that makes this treasure so valuable is that even though we are fragile jars of clay, if we have this treasure within us, we can cope with any adverse conditions which life comes and brings to us. Finally, we recognize that to have this treasure, we do not need to look inward or outward. We need to look upward. We look to God, a Father who is always with us regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our worthiness. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the all-surpassing power of God, that it comes from God and not from us. Where do we keep this treasure? It happens here. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we but fragile jars of clay, you have used and filled us up with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reminding us that even in death, there is resurrection. Lord, give us the strength to know that you are always there, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, and that this good news that you share with us is also meant to be shared with others. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.